Namaste. Shurabindo, when someone wanted to write his biography, Sri K.R. Srinivas Iyengar, which is one of the most uh, authentic and detailed biography of Shurabindo, when he wanted to write it <laughs> and sought Shurabindo's blessings, Shurabindo answered <laughs> that, uh, why do you need to write the biography? My life has not been on the surface for men to see. Later on, he added that any life which has gone deeper and a little higher is never on the surface completely because the value of what we do is derives its value from what we are inwardly and what we become. So we can also see Shurabindo's life at these different levels, if we may. One is, of course, the outer events of his life, which is rather well known. And uh, there itself we see like a son of splendor, um, right? Whether it be his early life in you know England when he went at seven years of age, stayed there till 21. <laughs> his birth itself, like a symbol and a sign. It's a time when humanity is um, on one side, India is lying low, prostrate. It has been made to believe that uh, all our culture, all our thought is nothing but uh, <laughs> simply it cannot stand the test of either reason and science. And there is a much greater culture which people must adopt from the West, a kind of thinking. So this is the period when forces of imperialism, forces of positivism, extreme materialism, all these are not only on the ascendant, but they are ruling the earth. And amidst all that, on, on the one hand, this is happening. On the other hand, uh, Indian thought and culture and the greatness of civilization, the spiritual impulsion, we see manifesting at its peak in Sri Ramakrishna Paramansa around that time. And then at, in 1886, we see Sri Ramakrishna Paramansa withdrawing and leaving in front, for the forefront Swami Vivekananda, the fire of Swami Vivekananda. At the same time, we see that within India, there starts something brewing and it is the impulse to seek freedom. <laughs> Whether its meaning was rightly understood or wrongly, but an impulse had started. Though it had started long back, but in 1857, mutiny we see it coming up with uh, great uh, strength and uh, prominence, though it didn't last long. And the last um, bit of sparks of this uh, mutiny, the Sepoy mutiny as it was called, was buried with Rani Lakshmi Bai. And in all that uh, time, which we can truly call as a time of darkness in which something was beginning to stir, we see the birth of Sri on the day when India would be liberated in future, would gain independence. That is to say, 15th of August, 19, uh, 1872. Subsequently, he goes to Cambridge, he studies in England, and we know that there he shines as an outstanding student, a brilliant student, and uh, you know somebody who clears uh, ICS in first shot, stands first class first, can freely write poems and uh, uh, you know writings in Greek, Latin, English, of course, French, mastered all these different languages. He shows himself as a very brilliant student, extraordinarily brilliant student, as remarked by even the great poets of that time. Uh, and then we see something very interesting in Shirobindo's life. Always a life where he goes to a point, reaches a peak. And then there is a kind of roundabout. This roundabout is not turning backward, but it is like taking a leap further. It's like somebody who is moving from one Himalayan peak to another in a jump. So, we can imagine if we go back in those times, even in today's time, somebody goes to Cambridge, is regarded as a very brilliant student, is on the verge of getting an ICS, which he deliberately does not go for the riding test because he didn't want to go further. When such a person is coming back, what would he be dreaming of? He would be dreaming of a wonderful future, a career, money, success, and of course, a good family life. But Shurabindo, when he is coming during this time, he has already the seeds of independence are sown in him. First, 
we see him sympathizing greatly with the movement freedom movement in ireland in fact later on he says that his uh, inner sympathies were much more with french and the irish people than the common you know what we call today as the united kingdom and this was something like from a temperamental point of view the affiliation which itself shows on one side the french people who subtle intelligence a kind of um, refinedness of culture we are speaking of a point of time when they spoke about unity freedom fraternity and on the other side irish people who are revolutionary fiery um, in their own right <clears throat> and when he comes to india there is a roundabout somebody who is uh, you know traveled to the west can speak english and all these languages so fluently is expected and he has got a job in maharaja of baroda he should uh, be actually you know suited booted with a neck tie and speaking uh, and and you know living in luxury but what people observe is shurbindo his uh, teacher who taught him bengali that he lies on the floor with a mat and when he is asked why are you doing this i because he expected him to be like that he was in awe and shurbindo puts him at comfort and says well uh, don't you know that i am a brahmachari and that's how an indian brahmachari is supposed to live so what does he do during this period in baroda i am speaking right now only about the outer life because there are many levels so we'll not uh, you know go into each and every detail but during this period we see a period of silent preparation now there are you know we hear about the life of gandhi ji he uh, comes to india and uh, then he undertakes a journey and that journey is he goes by train it's a very much publicized journey where he goes by train to different places travels in third class compartment uh, meets with the you know lowly and the fallen and tries to understand what indian people are shubindo takes another journey which is a very different journey he starts studying the vedas the upanishads from 18 uh, you know from his from the time he comes to baroda 1893 onwards we see that two things happen simultaneously on one side a series of spiritual experiences which transmute him inwardly which we'll speak about later and on the other side a deep study of vedic lore of upanishads particularly and many aspects of indian culture because he wanted to understand the indian people from a very different angle that's how he later on writes about in his writings on the bourgeois the samurai uh, later on in bengali writings about hero bhima ito that the true culture is not represented in uh, you know the outer life of a human being but in the highest that uh, a particular group of humanity has ever thought felt uh, aspired for and achieved that is the true spirit of culture and one may fall to any extent but if that is kept alive then we can rise back so he spends time studying that and a kind of a silent preparation which very soon changes into more and more an inward life we see happening from 1893 for almost 8 9 years after which being ready from 1902 onwards he plunges into the freedom movement now here again we see a roundabout because life at baroda Uh, i mean with the maharaja of baroda with uh, all the facilities with with all the money and perks anybody would normally say ki okay fine i will help the freedom movement but uh, by giving some money or giving some ideas but he starts plunging more and more from 1900 not to onwards till we see the you know break up of bengal in 1905 after which he actually goes there in the meanwhile we see him achieving again like Uh, in cambridge he was an outstanding student we see him at one point of time becoming the acting principal and the vice principal of baroda college <laughs> and the also the teacher in french and english and we see him so much loved favored now that's the time again he has achieved another peak but he renounces that once again and he plunges into the indian freedom movement where he actually if you see outwardly he loses all that um, outer wealth and riches and plunges into that there again we see that from 1902 till practically 1910 but more actively from 1905 shurbindo raises a kind of uh, silent revolutionary uh, the, the people who are ready to sacrifice everything for the country so these are the people whom through his writings through his speeches through his various pamphlets he prepares and most importantly with the fire of yoga which is already 
touched him and growing and whoever came in contact many people during that time when shurbindo spoke felt that he is not an ordinary person but a yogi even some people felt seeing him that he is none else but uh, you know the avatar of the age and during that period we see that his writings spread fire uh, then of course he is taken to alipur jail after which we see that shurbindo establishes as it were the soul of india in the midst of the indian people and one of his last documents um, uh, during this period of revolution indian freedom movement is the durga stroth and if you really go through the durga stroth it is nothing else but invoking the soul of india and establishing it he already lays down the lines along which india will uh, you know achieve freedom all the words which we see later on become prominent passive resistance we see the psychology of boycott all these things are already there established in his writings we can read them in bande matram much later these are the lines along which you know non cooperation the british justice system <laughs> these are the lines along which india will subsequently achieve freedom so we see that he does that lays down all the lines and establishes the soul of india right in the amidst the indian people and again it takes a, a further uh, step where he renounces all this in one go and at the calling of an inner adesh he comes to pondicherry somebody would ask sir why are you doing this i mean baroda he had a lush career cambridge he could have come back and you know achieved a lot outwardly what we normally would call as worldly success now by the time he comes to pondicherry he is already a, um, a man with lot of yash um, world over he is looked up, looked upon as uh, you know on the one side british believe that he is the most dangerous man in india on the other side indian people hail him as the rising star and someone no less than tagore speaks about him saying that you know aurobindo lohe namaskar that you know i bow down to you because you are the person through whom india will wake up to its freedom so if we really look at that he has again achieved another mountain peak and then suddenly we see him transiting to yet another field of experience another field of work and what is that field of work he reveals in one of his letters in 1912 this letter is written um, on his birthday and he writes to motilal roy 1912 two years after he has come to pondicherry that my future sadhana is for life and work and he says that uh, one of the things is that he has to restate i'll just uh, read out this is a wonderful document uh, he says that 15th august is a turning point for him personally either in sadhana or life and indirectly for others and uh, he speaks about the future sadhana is for life practical knowledge and shakti not the essential knowledge or shakti in itself which i have got already so in 1912 he is dwelling in parbrahman for many years uh, for many hours uh, 18 hours so there he reveals for the first time what is the mission for which he has come all the way because uh, i i have not touched upon the inner experiences which i'll do it in a while i am speaking of the outer life so he says the purpose is to reexplain the sanatan dharma to the human intellect in all its parts from a new standpoint now this new standpoint is both from the point of view of his inner experiences and from the point of view of a new philology a science of understanding which he receives directly from shri krishna in dalipur jail where he comes and gives him a new nirukta to uh, once again to decode the vedas whose uh, secrets have been lost over a period of time in antiquity in all kinds of vedavad rather than the authentic living experience of what the vedic rishis aspired for and received so this is the first thing second is on the basis of vedic knowledge to establish a yogic sadhana which will not only liberate the soul but prepare a perfect humanity and help in the restoration of the satyug so this second aspect of the work was that normally we hear about yoga and we hear that yoga liberates us grants us moksha and we don't have to come into the cycle of birth and death but here he knew that that is only a step the soul's freedom from ignorance is a step towards liberating this nature itself this nature itself is fallen 
so this itself can be upgraded and our human nature can be transmuted into a divine nature the logic behind it is just as human soul has forgotten itself that it is a portion of the divine what we call as nature is a diminution and distortion and fragmentation of the one divine shakti which is in its origin is omniscient omnipotent full of ananda full of peace so that's what he wants to establish within the limits of our human nature and transmute it so this is the second uh, thing he wants to uh, uh, he knows as his mission and the third mission is india being the center to work for the restoration to her proper place in the world and what that proper place is uh, he reveals the mother also reveals is to become the guru of the world now of course india is becoming the guru of the world but not just in the it sector more importantly in the realm of the inner consciousness so this is the path that india has to show in every field so when it is said that inner consciousness doesn't mean only uh you know speaking about vedanta and tantra and shastras but to translate them into real life into science and art and music in every aspect that's how if we look at uh, look back at indian culture that's what it was in its pristine days so every aspect of life should be touched with this inner spiritual realization and the fourth is a perfect humanity being intended society will have to be remodeled so as to be fit to contain that perfection so this is the uh, dream with which he comes to pondicherry and therefore already india and other aspects he has already done what he had to do now from there we see in another line of work starts especially with the coming of the mother it's very interesting that in 1912 there is a similar document of the mother where she speaks about what is the aim to be realized and this is around the same time as shubindu writes this letter and the mother says that the general aim is to be to be attained is the advent of a progressing universal harmony the means for attaining this aim in regard to the earth is the realization of human unity through the awakening in all and the manifestation by all of the inner divinity which is one in other words to create unity by founding the kingdom of god which is within us all i think this is one line she has summarized what sanatan dharma is about for each individually to be conscious in himself of the divine presence and to identify himself with it to individualize the states of being that were never till now conscious in man that means all the planes of consciousness which are beyond right now our mind all of them to for man to become conscious of them and to uh, live his life according to these fountains of universal knowledge and power and third she speaks of to again to speak again to the world the eternal word eternal word literally is uh, eternal is you know <laughs> sanatan and uh, here the word is as shubindu says to once again speak to the world the truth about sanatan dharma so same thing she says to speak again to the world the eternal word under a new form <laughs> adapted to its present mentality so this is what we see something very appealing about shubindu so shubindu seem he draws Uh, from that uh, store and fundhouse of the vedic experience but it doesn't ask us to uh, delve in it just as a mass of uh, uh, you know words and uh, a system but he uses it to give us the living experience through which uh, you know it's it's creative impulsion can grow or go into life and what is that uh, word is it will be the synthesis of all human knowledge so that means that this word this new knowledge will combine matter and spirit world and god and individual and the collectivity and man and the entire creation so this is the new synthesis collectively to establish an ideal society in a propitious spot for the flowering of the new race the race of the sons of god so these are all exactly what shirbindu says um perfect humanity being intended a perfect society uh, the ideal of human unity so these two dreams and both have by the time they meet in 1914 uh, they have both arrived at these uh, this kind of synthesis through their own set of spiritual experiences and what these experiences are unimaginable i mean we only hear about them in in the books uh, so that's where we see shubindu's inner life running in a 
totally different uh, stream which outwardly few people could get a sense but many could not for example people didn't understand why he has suddenly left the indian freedom movement and gone away it's because he had the assurance he knew it that now india will achieve freedom and the lines along which india must become free has already been laid down and he knew that there is somebody else who has to come and become instrument but for him he has to move on to greater fields so then with the coming of the mother we see a new work start of course he comes 1914 and the arya starts most of his writings are there now and uh, were written during that time not all many others subsequently in letters and of course his poems and then uh, the mother has to go back she comes back in 1920 and then a new journey starts which starts with a little propitious spot called the ashram where a new kind of yoga meant for the outflowering of the race of sons children of god basically it was the idea that man is a transitional being and a new being is going to come in the future which will be to man as today man is to the apes so this was because this in this new being they saw the perfect solution to the human problems so the principle was this that if we remain humans we will be always subject to all the difficulties the limitations and the problems and these problems are basically meant to drive us towards a higher solution so the principle was that when problem comes at one level the solution comes by climbing to the next level so this is how a new creation starting with a uh, you know a few pioneers in humanity um, which was you know attempted at <laughs> what we know today as the shobindo ashram and then subsequently we see it spreading shobindo society oroville and now you know uh, we have now your school and many other centers all over the world which are uh, you know striving towards something new greater more beautiful more divine creation upon earth now having done that we see that during the next uh, from 1926 when shobindo achieves another major milestone in his uh, inner life as i said we'll take it just in a moment he withdraws inside and the mother is in the forefront and these a kind of experiment starts with all these different sections of humanity each represented a possibility and a difficulty and the divine mother outpours her energies her consciousness there is a mingling like in ancient times like the gurukul where the disciple came in contact with the master the master took upon himself all the difficulties of the disciple and gave him a new consciousness and a new possibility this is the real meaning of the master so the master is not just somebody who gives a teaching and shows a way and now we walk the way leaving the master behind with shurbinder and the mother they took upon themselves the burden of humanity and um, that's where the idea of surrender faith giving oneself opening to the mother all these are come from that that the more we give ourselves the more we are transmuted because the divine pours into our that little corner which we have given to the divine and then finally we see that 5th december 1950 when shobindo further takes a revolutionary step he goes on to another level because now more or less it is decided ascertained the two great wars have taken place at the worst we, the worst crisis world ever faced we see during this period from almost 1938 to 1948 during which we see the second great war we see the partition of india all this happening uh, as if the worst poison the halahal comes out and uh, shubhendu drinks that kalkut or halahal as a result we see 5th december 1950 when he Uh, withdraws from the physical body plunges into the inconscient where really the roots of resistance lie because all his life we see he wants to establish this new and greater consciousness but there is a resistance in human nature human nature is full of doubts despairs goes back to the old ways it cannot accept the new it cannot accept that there could be a better and higher manifestation of the divine so shobindo looks and sees that the real problem is the inconscient it doesn't want earth to to change it allows an individual to escape so that's what we have been doing so far that well uh, an individual can escape from the ignorance of earth nature and if many many people escape eventually many people will be freed but earth will continue to be the same he doesn't want that he used a very interesting word that i don't want the old fiasco and i don't want the old wine in a new bottle he wants the wine to be new so that's how he saw that there is so much resistance in human nature it is coming up in the form of you know like we have an abscess and it bursts in the form of the second world war with all its 
gory things and Shubhendra had put his entire force behind the alleys which was not understood by even men like Gandhiji because they felt that here is uh, British are our enemies. You know uh, what we read in Panchatantra that the uh, enemy of enemy is a friend. So, you know, Hitler is an enemy of British and we are also enemy of the British. So, we and Hitler can become friends. This was a very fallacious thinking. And uh, Shurabindu saw that, well, uh, we can tackle the British comment later. But right now, the urgencies of the Nazi Germany, which, which is so dangerous, it can, if they really rule the world, that means forget about spirituality, everything will go back 10,000 years. And, uh, you know, just like he could see that he's the Asura who is imitating. So all the avatars, when they come, they uh, have to engage with an Asura and the Asura with which Shurbindo engaged and the mother engaged was Hitler. Uh, compare him with Ravana, Ravana will seem like a great saint. And uh, compare him with Kansa and Kansa will look like a very holy man. Um, compared to Hitler. So they had to meet a much greater challenge. Hitler represented the quintessence in a way of the entire gamut of difficulties. It was not just an Asura which was opposing God, it was imitating God. Because he, which is the worst kind of thing. So Hitler was constantly saying, I am getting voices from God and he saw uh, his symbol was the reverse swastik, which itself was a sign that he is turning the clock backward. But what was happening in his chambers was so cruel, so horror and yet the propaganda machinery. So Shirobindo and the mother saw through all of it, demolished the entire army, freed um, this world from the clutch of the Asura and he freed India from the scourge of imperialism. He had by then set into motion new idea forces which would free eventually, uh, already it is happening, this extreme materialistic thought which tried to explain this entire world only on a materialistic basis. So having done all that, he goes one step further that, well, where is the root of resistance? And he plunges into the inconscient. And that's when we see that as he plunges into the inconscient on 5th December, the supramental um, consciousness, the supramental light descends into his body for 111 hours. The body is set aglow, which is um, literally we can say that it was a living proof that the thing can be done, that um, the supramental consciousness can come in contact with matter, even what we call as dead matter. And it can continue to make it seem alive in by all standards. So this was one kind of a, uh, if we may use the word, though Shobindo did not like to use uh, this word, a kind of living miracle. But more than miracle, it was a deed, an action, where he could see that, there is a possibility of the greater consciousness descending into matter, setting it aglow in such a way that even the man who doesn't believe, tens of thousands of people pass through uh, his room and the body is kept without any uh, any kind of outer things to you know preserve it. And yet, even though there is death, there are no outer signs of death. And many could see the light <laughs> surrounding his body like a mantle. And then, of course, he withdraws. He enters into larger fields, which the mother speaks of them in the agenda, wherein he started preparing from behind <laughs> the entire uh, cosmic um, aspects of the problem, which which meant gods, titans, uh, beings, many beings on earth. And eventually, as a result, on 29th February 1956, we see the supramental manifestation beginning at a larger level. And today, one of the results is this, that we are sitting today like this and speaking about Mother and Shirobindo and their life and the future. So this is the outer life. This is only the outer life. And if we look at the outer life, it is so rich, full of splendor. What kind of a deed? A person who, uh, you know, being dragged to the Alipur court, he is declared by the Britishers in the parliament as the one most dangerous man in India, whose writings will awaken an entire nation in terms of his outer achievement. We see that there is, uh, you know, such a vast um, repertoire of knowledge uh, that itself is so wonderful. If we just look at outwardly, he is one of those whom we can really call as the modern Vyasa of India. Uh, just, to, just to take a comparison, I mean, leaving apart the 36 volumes of works, about 300 poems and 10 long poems touching upon, I mean, mystics have written poetry, no doubt about it. But this kind of poetry and so many, and this is nothing but a fraction. And then ultimately, uh, going up to the epic poem Savitri, which is the longest poem in English language, with 24,000 lines and what 
I would not even use the word sublime poetry or put any adjective before it. It's nothing but a divine revelation given to man. So if we just look at the outer achievements and when we look at his writings, a new thought, a new synthetic thought, a path for mankind, a deeper understanding of the evolutionary crisis, the way through which human beings can fulfill this urge for human unity. All these things we find through his writings. And then finally, of course, uh, you know, we see all different kinds of action that individually, while in the ashram, through the mother, that we see happening a new kind of, you know, um, field or, or or an evolutionary laboratory and a field of experiment and spiritual, um, uh, you know, a kind of spiritual movement, which will start by a change of consciousness and eventually it will end up with a uh, beginnings of a new race. So, when we look at just Shobindu's outer life and its achievement, they are remarkable. But as he said, my life is not on the surface for men to see. This is only on the surface. Deep inside, we see what he is, the thoughts, the urge. If we look at Shurabindu's thought, it is stretching towards infinity. Just, I mean, one doesn't have to do anything. Just read something of Shurabindu and one is simply lost in that admiration. Just pick up one poem, a God's labor or seer deep hearted, any poem for that matter. And one falls in love with like what kind of a writing is this? Essays on the Gita, secret of the Vedas. His thought is as if going deep into the secret of the world's mysteries and unlocking it, revealing to us like literally like the Vedic legend of Angiras Rishi. He goes into the caves and releases the cows which have been penned up by the Panis and the Vritras and releases it for the world to see. So when we look at his writings, the life divine about which, uh, you know, uh, papers like, I don't like to quote New York Times. I mean, it's not something very, uh, very much uh, nowadays it's lost its uh, value. But write that here is somebody who is as if moving amidst galaxies and looking at this earth. That was the uh, kind of impression. And really, if you read through the life divine, and of course, Savitri, it's sheer magic. So when we look at his inner being, who is the person who is holding such thoughts inside? We know about his marriage to Nilani Devi, but who would write to his wife? Normally, you know, a person who has a plush job and, um, uh, you know, has good amount of money, is a very influential man with the Maharaja of Baroda. He writes to his wife that, you know, I am born with three madnesses. And what are the madnesses? He says, I regard that I have the strength to save this fallen race. And not just you, but... 300 million, my brothers are knocking at my door. Should I just ignore them? And that time we see that Sanskrit writing during the revolutionary movement, Bhavani Bharati. It's, what kind of feeling, what kind of a heart he must have had just to have a glimpse when Milani Devi and Shavitra's sister once go to Shillong where Milani Devi was from, you know, she lived in Shillong, was not originally from Shillong, but you know, from the little hilltop, they look at the city and uh, Shubhindo's sister Sarojini remarks that, you know, it's such a beautiful city, isn't it? And uh, she, his wife, Madhulani Devi remarks that, well, there is a much greater city dwelling in the heart of your brother. She could sense that here is not a heart which is just, you know, endowed with such compassion. As the mother says two things, one must never forget is Shobindo's compassion, the mother's love. Why would somebody leave behind all this? Already in 1908-1909, he has experienced Nirvana, he has experienced Vasudevam Sarvamiti. Why would somebody leave all this? He has both the heights of what can be called as yash in the world and the heights of what would be called as the inner capacity for realization. What anybody has ever realized, I mean, Sri Krishna says that it's the rarest of rare realization to see Vasudevam Sarvamiti. In 1926, when he completely <laughs> identifies with Sri Krishna, why would someone after that refuse to give any interviews? So many people wanted his interview, wanted a picture of him, but uh, just for information, from 1920 onwards, Shobindo refused to give even a photograph. The next photograph is in 1950. That too at the mother's behest because he had decided to withdraw. No interview. Somebody took a hidden uh, recorder to take an interview of Shobindo and without his knowledge pressed the button and it was all blank. When people wanted to make a crown, they collected, uh, started collecting money. Uh, 
pounds. And then they informed him that for your birthday we want to do a grand celebration. And we want to present you with a crown, rare crown, because you are the king. As we feel it and Shobindu's reply, let the kingdom come, the crown can wait. Have you ever, we talk about renunciation where people abandon whatever little they have and they walk into the forest wearing a langoti and we call them renunciates. Here is a renunciate of renunciates who renounces even his yogic realizations for the sake of sowing the seed of aspiration for a greater life in humanity. No kind of popularity, propaganda ever. I mean, today of course we are celebrating, we talk about Mother and Shirobindo. Till these supramental manifestations, the Mother and Shirobindo did not want people to talk about them. Can you ever imagine a guru of gurus like that with all the yoga vibhutis at, in, his, in his bag as a guru had remarked that he has all the realizations put in his kitty. <laughs> that siddhis. And yet he doesn't speak about them. He reveals them in Savitri, in some of his private correspondence. Now we know about them. But if you read through his writings, they are all impersonal writings. You will hardly read a word called I in secret of the Vedas at times. But that is in context of philology and his own observations when he comes to the southern India. Otherwise, in the entire literature of Arya, it is such impersonal and universal truth that he is pouring to the world. But... This too, this inner being of Sri which we can describe as a divine poet, as of course, uh, he is not just a nationalist in one sense, he is the one who unites nationalism and internationalism. So in his ideal of human unity, he doesn't speak of a world state governed by one government. He speaks about each nation bringing out its best in the world yagna and thereby coming together to create a beautiful harmony. So this is something, very novel idea because either we speak of human unity where we <laughs> blur all the nations and all distinctions like Tolstoy's son that let everybody speak one language and we will have human unity. No, that is the way of the Asura. But he speaks about each unit, collective unit, bringing its best and fusing with the best in the race, humanity and coming together, which is what originally the divine intent is when he says, Ekoham Bahushyami, the one becoming the many, unity in diversity, which is also what each one wants. So these kind of thoughts which he released, so we can even say, not just a divine poet, but also a divine thinker. It's not an ordinary thinker or an ordinary philosopher, but somebody who has the vision of the future and is giving that thought to us. Perhaps too much of the future. Because when we look at Shurabindo's writing, sometimes it's like unbelievable, amazing. When he writes a word like, man, he's a transitional being. Just think about it. It is a life-changing one sentence. We don't have to read many books. There's this idea that there is something greater than man which has to come. And he not only promises and assures us like a prophet who has seen. So again, a divine prophet, that aspect we see. He's not just a prophet who has foreseen it. He has to work and achieve and prepare earth to receive it. So in that sense, when we see and go to his still deeper core of inner life, we see developing from a yogi, a seer, a sage, to ultimately the avatar of humanity, the avatar of the age. We see in him already the glimpses of a prophet when he writes, as early as 11 years of age, when he writes a poem, Light. It's a prophetic poem written at 10 years of age. Or, or a uh, play called Harmony of Virtues, written at 18 years of age. There are some 5-6 plays of that kind. And then when he speaks about India in 1909, he speaks about revolutions, uh, revolutionary uh, things which will happen amidst which India will become free because India has to play a role in the future of the world. What is his prophecy in 1910? Could anyone believe when he said the sun of India's destiny will rise and overflow India and overflow Asia and overflow the world? Nobody could have believed at that point of time. Son of India's destiny? Haven't we told that India lies fallen and low into mass of obscurity that all that we believe in is nothing but rituals and superstitions? Where is that word that can set the spirit free? And again when Tagore meets him in 1928, he says, you have the word. India is waiting for the word. In you I see that the greatest rishis. And yet, Shobindo was not just here to speak a word, but to act, to do, to achieve, uh, to fulfill. 
So this was his task. And then we see a string of spiritual experiences from early days when, you know, in Baroda, during Pranayam, he experiences the flow of constant flow of poetry, uh, 200 lines at a stretch. And he says that this, whatever he has written as guidance, he had followed many paths simultaneously. Then we see that on the uh, when he goes to Nainital, incidentally, with the Maharaja on a what people would outwardly call a, call as a honeymoon trip. What does he experience? He has walking on the ridge of Solomon. He has the experience of the vacant infinite. It is the Advaita experience, where he suddenly has the experience of the one without a second, which fuses with the sense of nothingness. So when he was asked later on, you are saying something which Shankaracharya did not say. So he says, "What can I do?" I have the experience of Mayavad and the Nihil, the Nirvana walked into my life without as much as asking, may I please? But what can I do if beyond it, greater experience is poured in? So when we look at Shurabindu's inner life, it's not just a thought in comparison with other thoughts. The Yogi Shurabindu experiencing the Godhead surge from his body in Baroda and holding the reins of the chariot. Or the yogi who achieves nirvana in three days and without any difficulty literally sees the origin of thoughts. So much so that his guru, uh, I mean guru means as an excuse we may say Vishnu Bhaskar Lele. He comes from a different tradition. He is a Vaishnava Bhakta. And when he sees Shurabindu achieve something like this, he himself is surprised. How could this happen? Well, we are reminded of the story of Sri Krishna when a word from Rishi Ghora and he had the realization. Something very similar we see in Shurabindu. Then when he goes to jail for one year, he realizes the truths of the Isha Upanishad. He realizes the truths of the Gita. In fact, he says that Sri Krishna came and handed over the Gita to me and the strength of the Gita entered into me. He doesn't say that I read the Gita and I had the experiences. The truth of the Gita entered into him dynamically like Sri Krishna literally identifying and that's when Sri Krishna reveals to him the secret of his mission. Literally one avatar handing over to the other as we see in Ramayana when Parshuram comes and hands over to Rama that now you know this yuga is yours and throws away the axe out of which we see uh, the deep waters Kerala is born as a country. So that's where we see that the avatar Sri Krishna who has led, you know, who, who gave the foundations of the Yuga Dharma for India or rather established Aryavarta, carving it out of Jambudvi, he carries it right up to this point where now Shurabindu has to take up the work and carry it further. And that becomes more and more obvious through his experiences which we see there in poetry, Bliss of Brahman, Parabrahman. As I said in 1912, he says that for 18 hours a day I am able to dwell into in Parabrahman. Vasudevam Sarvamiti or eventually the supramental consciousness which people could glimpse. Swami Vivekananda pointed out towards that. Because yogis in the Vedas, they glimpse that there is the door of the sun, Surya Siddhwar. Satya Dharmaya Drishta, as Rishi of the Upanishad says, that I want the law of truth. But he doesn't say how to achieve it. What is the way? Is it achievable at all? at all or not. So, instead of the sun, they receive the rays, the swarlok of the Vedas. That maybe it's difficult to open the door, but the rays can be received. And that rays is the swarlok, the heavens of the ideal. And that itself is so fascinating. And that itself leads to the opening to the, of the doors of intuition. But then he is not satisfied with any halfway home. In 1926, the mother had almost brought down what she called as the world of the gods, the overmind gods. And many of the yogis living in the ashram started experiencing descent of the gods. In Amrita's consciousness, the descent of Brahma. In um, Nalnida's consciousness, the descent of Varuna. And so on and so forth. It was a time of dazzling experiences. And then she goes to Shirobindu and says, this is what I prepared. And Shirobindu says that, well... Uh, we don't want this. If we do it, we'll make a religion, greatest of all religions, for the next thousand years. But eventually it will decline. Because it is not yet established on the final foundation of truth. So the mother says, with my inner consciousness, I understood. Within two hours, she had wiped it out completely. And then all these dazzling experiences went away. So they asked, what happened? She said, back to work. <laughs> back to work. Nothing short of the highest perfection. 
So that's where we see that even beyond the domain of the greatest gods earth is ever known. Whether we take the Vedic gods, subsequently the Purani gods and so on and so forth. He, the Surya Siddhwar, which was used as a door of escape. When Kabir Das says that, you know, going beyond it, I bhunj dalu the karmas. I burn the karmas. But she wants that consciousness to be activated upon earth in human beings so that human beings from birth can sense the divinity in everything. So this was their great endeavor, this their pledge, their labor, the promise for the future. And this the work which project, really the project, <laughs> since we are having so many projects, the real project of Sri and the mother is to eventually create a being, a new being with a new mind, a new heart and a new life and eventually a new body. We may literally say a divine life in a divine body upon earth. So this is the project which we are all invited to connect ourselves. A most um, fascinating project. A project that can, you know, take, absorb us not just for one lifetime, but for lifetimes. It's literally a divine project to which we can, you know, enter into it and flow with it. So this is, and much more than this is Shurabindu, but this is where the avtaric aspect we see where each avatar, as the mother says, comes to bring a new step in the evolution. So we see the entire range of the Dash avatar of Vishnu uh, Bhagwan, where we see that first the you know Lord manifests as the uh, creature of the sea, Matsya, then the creature which is uh, on the land and the sea, turtle, then the Varad, creature of the land, then the uh, you know, nursing avatar, half animal, leonine man and half man. And then all out of all that fiery energies, we see Parshuram who at least channelizes these intense Rajasik energies. But, I mean, he massacres the entire clan, but he does it to destroy all the arrogant Kshatriyas. And then we see out of the intense Rajoguni Parshuram, we see the emergence of the Sattugun Rama, the illumined mind which teaches us the way to live an ideal ethical life individually and collectively. And yet that is not the last limit. We see it in the story of Rama himself, the limitations even of an ideal ethical mind. And then out of him emerges Sri Krishna, who speaks of going beyond the Trigunati, Trigunati Bhavsavisachi. And in that state, even though nature will be what it is, the soul can be free and engage in a cosmic action. So this is still further. And then we see that in that whole lineage, eventually, I am not speaking of the different names because they are different in different traditions. But eventually, the coming of Kalki, who literally establishes the kingdom of heaven upon earth. So what is the kingdom of heaven on, on earth? It literally would mean that each one is transmuted within. We started with that that to eventually have a race of the children of God upon earth who will be the forerunners of a new and divine future. It will manifest in a few, but eventually it will spread like a, you know, spreading in concentric circles and uh, uh, till maybe few hundred years, till we have a new humanity or shall we say the divine humanity of the future. Let me close with few lines from Shurbindo's uh, biographical poem, A God's Labor, which reveals that avataric aspect because he comes to add the next rung. After Krishna, what? Man is inwardly free, but nature is still Satvarajo Tamoguna. He comes for the transformation of nature. Even nature must be free and transformed. I have gathered my dreams in a silver air between the gold and the blue and wrapped them softly and left them there, my jewel dreams of you. I had hoped to build a rainbow bridge marrying the soil to the sky. This we see at times in the Vedic lore also, the marriage between earth and heaven. And so in this dancing planet midge the moods of infinity. He who would bring the heavens here must descend himself into clay and the burden of earthly nature bear and tread the dolorous way. And now we see exactly uh, echoing what the Gita speaks about the avatar. Um, 
pressing upon my nature, I entered into this birth. So Shubhendu says, coercing my Godhead, I have come down here on the sordid earth, ignorant, laboring, human grown, twixt the gates of death and birth. I have been digging deep and long, mid a horror of filth and mire, a bed for the golden river's song, a home for the deathless fire. And we end this with the promise. We see that each avatar brings a promise. Shri Krishna gives a great promise to Arjuna. And the promise he gives is Sarvdharman Paridya Mame Kamsha Namraja Aham Tva Sarvapape Bhyo Mokshishami Mashucha. Engage in action, world action, but keeping Manmanabhavmad Bhakta. But keeping me in your consciousness and you will be free without the taint of sin and evil. So do not grieve, do not fear. Shubhindu brings a much larger, a collective promise. And this promise is a little more like flames to the kingdoms of truth and bliss. This is the last part of this poem. Down a gold red stairway wend the radiant children of paradise clarioning darknesses end. So he has force in it that the children of uh, will come more and more who will embody this new aspiration to marry the earth to the sky and for the new creation. A little more and the new life's doors shall be carved in silver light with its aureate roof and mosaic floors in a great world, bare and bright. I shall leave my dreams in their argent air for in a raiment of gold and blue they shall move on the earth embodied and fair the living truth of you. So this earth, whose living truth is, it has come from divine and it will grow divine. To change this earthly life to life divine, when will it be? Perhaps when the hour is darkest, as he says in Savitri, thus shall the mass transcendent mount his throne when darkness deepens, strangling the earth's breast and man's corporeal mind is the only lamp as a thieves in the night shall be the covert tread. And then he says that he knows at the end of that whole thing that man will not believe. So he says, for man shall not know the coming till its hour. God shall grow up while the wise men talk and sleep. For man shall not know the coming till its hour and belief shall be not till the work is done. Thank you. So we can have questions. We have 15-20 minutes or whatever time. I'll be happy to take questions. Yes. Thank you, sir. It was just marvelous, you know, uh, what you said. Uh, just a, maybe a little out of context, but maybe still, you know, in, uh, uh, I would just li- like to know from you that uh, Sri Aurobindo, he, uh, he didn't have... Uh, a con- any guru as such, you know, he, he was self-driven, and of course, experienced Sri Krishna, and then uh, whatever his realizations, uh, he achieved on his own, accomplished on his own. But when he writes the mother, or, you know, of course, the mother is, as a universal mother to us, is it uh, for uh, persons like us, uh, uh, to believe that Sri Aurobindo also uh, also uh, regarded uh, the mother as the universal mother because in his in his you know tapasya uh, in his in his uh, in his realizations did he also seek or, or look at the mother okay. as the universal mother? Okay, so that's uh, thank you for that question first of all because. Uh, you know, it takes care of one aspect, which is the indispensable element in Shurbindo's life story, and it is the coming of the mother. So I just hinted at it. Now, Shurbindo himself, if we look at the mother aspect, so we know about Shurbindo's Vedanta Sadhana, but there was this yoga going on wherein he doesn't write in detail, but definitely, say for instance, in 1909, when Sister Nivedita tells him, that, uh, you know, the British government are after you. Why don't you leave and go away? And Shurabindu says, you know, I have completely given myself to the Divine Mother and without her permission, where will I go? How can I go? He says that you know it um, as much as I do. 
that it's only the divine mother tells me that i will leave so as far as the divine mother as the universal and transcendental he was surely in touch when milani devi also went to uh, you know one of the there is a she went to sharda devi to ask about shirobindo she also said that he is born to shine and you know uh, show a new path to humanity but interestingly one of the gurus uh, i think it was swami um, shuddhanand uh, if i am not mistaken but when he was asked uh, about shirobindo he said he is given completely into the divine mother's lap so his life is not going to be what uh, normally and ordinarily we see projected so in his writings in his poems we see this aspect of the divine mother but the beauty is when the divine mother physically arrives which is where the distinction is the divine mother is always there it's not something new i mean um, all traditions know about the divine mother but in india she is very much uh, kept alive as a living tradition as a living thought living experience but just as the avatar is an embodiment of the divine who anyways exists so similarly the divine mother the one whom we know as the divine mother in his own words was an embodiment of the divine mother is an embodiment of the divine mother who came to fulfill uh, what shirobindo has dreamed so she is the mediator between uh, what shirobindo if we take him as the lord who has dreamed uh, and she is to mediate and fulfill and um, make sure that that dream is fulfilled upon earth in men in humanity so while shirobindo could arrive at all these realizations he saw very clearly that an average or even a superhuman human being cannot arrive at these things so he said that with the mother's coming firstly his own sadhana there were things which were pending for 10 years they got removed how it got removed he doesn't say that he says with the coming of the mother this happened in his own sadhana then we see as soon as the mother comes the manifestation starts 1914 the arya starts the honesty store starts with the help of shirobindo's brother in law rilani devi's brother and new idea the mother before coming she has her own uh, tremendous occult uh, spiritual realizations which include the realization of the immanent divine the realization of the cosmic divine all the uh, chakras right up to 12 chakras she could uh, live uh, in a state of death and continue to act so all her realization which are far more uh, amazing if we really look at her life an accomplished painter uh, a, a pianist who brought out new forms of music uh, so she was already by and she had already started a new, a group called as the new idea in france uh, if we read those early writing we can see the uh, depth and wisdom of her understanding so when she comes here she started these three things right away Uh, the new idea she started organizing a group life but she had to go away but from 1920 she comes and a new kind of organization a little organization of what later came to be known as the ashram life began so during this period when someone asked about to shirobindo that she is a very great uh, yogini and uh, shirobindo said yes and then he that person amrita asked shirobindo but she doesn't give meditation because most of the time she was standing uh, she was spending uh, in drawn in in her room she would not come out easily and see she was organizing everything but not like you know later on that we see of the mother just meeting taking all the children uh, so he said yes but one day impelled by the divine love she would come out and that would be truly a great day and that's what we see from um the year 1926 onwards or 25 onwards first she takes upon herself everybody's burden falls dangerously ill and then she comes out of it and then she starts the work so the entire manifestation in shurbindo's yoga is given to the mother so for the practical arrangement purposes while shurbindo could realize technically technically so to say well if one could do that kind of tapasya as shurbindo did Uh, maybe one could arrive at some point but collectively for the for for an average humanity it was not possible so he made it very clear that it is only the divine mother uh, it is only the mother and no human power of tapasya that can establish the life divine and immortality here upon earth so the mother inner embodiment became the divine mother who has taken this approach or taken this human body to become a door to the next step so in her transcendent self she is of course all and beyond the all 
in her universal aspect she takes care of the tiniest of creatures from the worm to the gods but in her embodiment as the avatar each avatar brings a new angle of work so in her embodiment as an avatar she brings a new power to change earthly life into life divine so she embodies it so that is the difference that while universal mother if we go to her and say that i mean to put it theoretically that i want a transmutation of earthly life she will herself direct us to her own embodiment that go through this embodiment because that's where the power has been vested so this is how we can look at uh, the presence of the mother in shurbindu's yoga so uh, in this yoga that part is very clear that without opening to the mother he said it as simple as that that if you open only to me probably you will get some help maybe 25% but if you open to the mother you will receive 100% and when somebody asked him about shurbindu's force he said well you can put it this way that the mother is shurbindu's force the mother went on to say without uh, him i exist not without me he is unmanifest so it's the original relation of the divine and his shakti coming to earth taking a human body for manifesting something which cannot manifest without the assumption of the human form so we see here the mystery of the avatar assuming a human body to bring that higher consciousness in touch with matter so that's the if you may use the word the work and the mission of the mother so as the divine mother yes she is all present everywhere but we may approach her only for protection for growth in yoga for you know anything for that matter because she is the divine mother whatever her children ask she grants we can approach her for material things we can approach her for spiritual things but for the transformation of earthly life it is this embodiment of hers which has been charged with this mandate all right